0: Here I stand, atoms with consciousness, matter with curiosity, a universe of atoms, an atom in the universe. The Interplanetary Podcast, the exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. So, Matt, that was your man like Richard Feynman, yeah? Big up. I've just finished listening
1: on Audible to the classic Richard Feynman autobiography books.
0: What an absolute ledge. So sucked.
1: good. The section on the space shuttle, Jamie, is mm. absolutely unreal. I just love the fact that he joins a committee with um, Neil Armstrong and Sally Ride and people like that. And It's
0: pretty strong, isn't it?
1: It, well, he's totally unimpressed by them. He's, he's totally, yeah. And then there's that moon guy, Neil Armstrong, and I didn't even know who Sally Ride was. And It's just oh, like, God. wow. Literally doesn't give a monkey's. It, yeah. like, I just love the fact that the authority to him just means absolutely nothing. Yeah. But it's incredible just how out of hand the management had got it at, mm. at, the, at the space shuttle, that it was just so dangerous and they just weren't admitting it. It's just incredible.
0: Insaniac. Incredible.
1: Really, really good read. Um, Jamie, I, we, before we go on, we have to do our shout-out at the top of the show f- to the legends, the aces that are Justin Roberts and Justin Young. The, the double Justins. Justins. The double Justins who this week paid for my trip to Hoxton to debate oh, yeah. a flat flat-earther on Lad Bible.
0: No way, you
1: didn't. It, well, I certainly did. I, I, Jamie, I don't know how they're going to edit it, but... I didn't come away feeling as though I'd done my best job. So Well you know, we 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 still done. love you, however it comes yeah. out. Well well let's hope. Uh, let's hope. Uh, I came across with something sensible to say. I've had a brilliant idea, by the way, for, for us two to do a little uh, YouTube video about Flat Earth. That way we can edit it ourselves. Uh, we, we need to do it before this one comes out so I can at least put this as a response.
0: As a reply,
1: yeah. Uh, also, don't forget, Jamie, on the 5th of March, you can come to St, near St Paul's in London to the spacetalks.biz space conference. Ah, oh, Yes. Uh, yes, so th- I'll be I'll be chairing a talk called "Workers of the Outer Space Unite." Oh my goodness! Bridging the gap between government R and D and manufacturing. Well, it's a beautiful thing. I'll be chairing that talk, and uh, yeah, come and come and give me some support, Spodcats. That would be very nice.
0: I will actually be in France that day, so you're going to have to fly alone, Matt. Ah, oh, we're both. Yeah, we, we, we. Um, Matt you know what I'd like to speak about I reckon I do If I said to you 30 years ago today What would you say to me
1: Well I know that Carl Sagan is very much Central to our love of space isn't he Papa Sags yeah Absolutely And uh, yes today as we do this Jamie It is Friday the
0: 14th of February Happy Valentine's Day everybody Did you get a card Did you get a kiss If you didn't, it doesn't matter, because you know what? We still love you.
1: Yeah, we still love you. This is our valentines to all you listeners out there.
0: (laughs) Even if literally no one loves you, we
1: do. We do, absolutely. Yeah. Pale blue dot, Jamie. Oh, my God. The famous pale blue dot. The picture that Voyager One space probe took 30 years ago today, when it was about... 3.7 3.7 billion miles away Insane. it was taking family portraits of the entire solar system so Carl Sagan sort of noticed that if you turn the camera around as Voyager was leaving the solar system it should be able to take a picture of all the planets yeah and so they could all just have a little family portrait and I think what what an insight Carl, Carl Sagan has that real popular touch doesn't he that he knows what's important and that really is important exactly Yeah. it was it it wasn't just like he was writing about the pale blue dot it was his idea to actually take the photo and it was the vet what that series of photos is the very last photos voyager one took because they have to they had to power down the camera so all the other instruments they're still working and still beaming bits back um uh, could could actually carry on working and sending data back as it travelled in interstellar space.
0: Not not a bad last photo to take, is it? No. Do you know Do you know why the the uh, Earth looks like a
1: pale blue dot?
0: Well, I assume it has to do with our atmosphere and the sun, Raleigh scattering of sunlight in mm. the atmosphere, uh, that
1: makes the Earth look blue and makes the sky look blue, but which is very unusual, of course, because a lot of this is caused because there's loads of oxygen in the atmosphere. And, of course, that is down to the fact that there's life, photosynthetic life.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, plants and trees. Yeah,
1: yeah, thank you, plants, that make us a a nice blue planet. The oceans, they, they contribute, but not as much as the atmosphere. But the clouds, the white clouds, make it... A pale blue, rather than a sort of dark blue dot floating in the a moat of dust.
0: What colour would uh, the atmosphere be if we didn't have any plant life or trees at all? Ooh. would it well, still it be bit, blue? Well,
1: well I, I I guess it depends what chemicals are in the atmosphere yeah i mean like take titan that's orange because the atmosphere is so thick and doesn't have this oxygen that allows Mm. this raleigh scattering to occur so it could be orange if the atmosphere was a bit like titan or it could just be orange yeah it could be the color of of whatever the ground is if it's something like the moon without an atmosphere uh, or, or Venus, I think, is is sort of fairly white, isn't it? It, it it's just cloud covered, and you can't see at all. It's, a, bit, so it's no a beautiful
0: thing. Scattering,
1: yeah. The Earth is the prettiest of all the planets in the solar system. I know Saturn likes to show off with its rings, but it's not. It's got nothing on the on the pale blue dot. No the blue mark. What has? But I think it's worth reading just a little bit of the quote, Jamie. The bit Should we that do it? Everyone loves. Do it.
0: Everyone you love everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being that ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, Every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there, on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a a legend. There we go. Hot bang. But bang,
1: on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. I think yours is better. (laughs) No, I thought you. I I liked your impression. Oh, thanks. I thought it was. It was nice and subtle. It was really good.
0: We'll see how. uh, We'll see how our listeners uh, score us out of (laughs) ten. So, what's going on with NASA at the moment, Matt?
1: Ah, so NASA have just announced uh, four more programs for their Discovery program. Yeah, they have. They have, and and it seems like Venus is taking a bit of a in a little bit more interest. So yes, they they they've just been. It's not choosing missions that are going to happen, but missions that are basically they're saying go away and beef these things up. Here's three million dollars each to go and do. Feasibility studies, and then we shall start looking at uh, selecting the mission. So, this is what uh, Thomas Zaburkin said. He said, These selected missions have the potential to transform our understanding of some of the solar system's most active and complex worlds. (laughs) Oh. exploring any one of these celestial bodies will help unlock the secrets of how it and others like it came to be in the cosmos.
0: Get to the chopper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I chose Schwarzenegger for Zerbergen, okay. but, you know, but I, it's
0: good. I enjoyed it, but
1: yeah. It's all right, yeah. I wasn't quite Schwarzenegger. It was another kind of Austrian. Maybe I think Zerbergen's Austrian. I need to look it up.
0: There we go, we do.
1: (laughs) Do you want to know what the names of these uh, and a rough description of each of these four are? Oh, yes. And we've, uh, Trident, of course, if you go back to podcast 135, we mentioned Trident and it's uh, this is a mission to go to Triton, the surprisingly active moon of Neptune.
0: Oh, yes, I'm interested, Okay.
1: So yes, that might so that the mission there I think would be extremely exciting. So Not,
0: this would be to understand pathways to habitable worlds at a tremendous distance from the sun. Yes,
1: yeah, so in other words, can we expand the Goldilocks zone out to ludicrous distances? Well, if you have life on Triton, would just be insane.
0: I think. It's not going to have life on it, Jamie.
1: The two, the two Venus ones, the two Venus ones. Yeah. And here's a here's a corker of a acronym for you, Jamie. I know how you love them. Oh. God. Venus emissivity, radio science, InSAR <laughs> topography, and spectroscopy. Or Easy for you Veritas. to say. Okay. <laughs> Veritas sounds like an awful companies that people over the age of sixty five might use for something. Yeah, like
0: over sixty five holidays. Come on, a Veritas holiday. Or maybe some hemorrhoid cream for your bottom. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) So Apply uh, Veritas (laughs) liberally on the affected area.
1: So that that's gonna be using one of these synthetic aperture radars that we hear so much about these days. And it's gonna map Venus' surface, the surface of Venus. Ah,
0: quality.
1: Try and work out why it it veered away from Earth's history and became a hot hell. (laughs)
0: why does that make me think of your old band broadsword that would that would definitely be on a broadsword album wouldn't it oh yes this one's hot hell well
1: love songs of the planets when i when i do venus i should imagine it will be quite heavy metal that particular song it has to be yeah has to be da vinci plus the deep atmosphere venus investigation of noble gases chemistry and imaging plus like it yeah, uh, and that's going to analyse, as as it probably is, the clue is in the t- title, uh, analyse Venus's atmosphere to see why it became a living hot hell.
0: Well, do you want to know my favourite, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Ivo, Matt, would explore Jupiter's moon Io to learn how tidal forces shape planetary bodies.
1: Io's that, like, ridiculously volcanic body in the solar system that just looks like it's... It looks like a really nice sweet somehow, but uh, yes, I'm sure it wouldn't be if you tried to pop. it I used in your to like mouth. it
0: when Freddie Mercury used to sing about Io, did he? Io under the influence of Brian May. This is it. Everyone thought they were just singing
1: random things back, but it wasn't. Well, the planet Mercury was named after him. <laughs> he yeah, yeah. good. Uh, Jamie, yeah, we did say that we were going to talk about the launch yeah. of ESA's. Solar Orbiter, oh, get Solo. I mean, that's the one of the coolest names ever, isn't it? So it has like being to be. named after a Star Wars character is yeah, pretty cool. Exactly. Solo or Solo. Do you say
0: Han or Han? Han Solo. I'd like it to be Han,
1: but it's Han, is
0: it? It's probably Han. I don't know. Uh, Any Star Wars geeks? Can you tell us? Is it Han? I like Han Solo. Or if Han. I If
1: I was a as a kid up until maybe three years ago, I would have said. Han Solo.
0: Everyone this side of the pond says Han Solo. Yeah, Yeah. but are we saying it wrong, Americans? Who knows? Matt, I don't think this side of the pond.
1: Presumably in Germany they say Han. Han Solo. Solo.
0: (laughs) 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 Or Austria they say Han Solo. I love you. Ich liebe dich. I know. So there we go. Bit of German for you. Didn't know that I knew German, did you? Anyway,
1: Jamie, we need to get back to solar orbiter.
0: Let's focus, please.
1: Let's focus, Jamie. Um, Yes, solo, completely the start of the golden age of solar astronomy, as we said Mm. a few weeks ago, because it's going up on the tail of this Parker Solar Probe, the NASA uh, Solar Probe. And it's also joining these very, very large ground-based solar scopes as well. And we're just going to start seeing the sun in extraordinary detail soon. Uh, And I I can't wait. I literally can't wait. The science for solar orbiter, SOLO, starts in about November twenty-one. So uh, we've got a year and a half to wait until it starts actually pumping pumping out data. And it's planned to last about seven years, but it will almost certainly be extended for a long time after that. Mm. So the main objectives of the mission... It's going to answer
0: these questions, Matt. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. How and where do the solar wind plasma and magnetic field originate in the corona? Mm
1: -hmm. Number one.
0: Mm -hmm. How do solar transients drive heliospheric variability? Mm -hmm. How do solar eruptions produce energetic particle radiation that fills the heliosphere? Mm -hmm. And finally, how does the solar dynamo work and drive connections between the sun and the heliosphere?
1: Pretty important stuff, Jamie. Kind of. There's loads of stuff we just don't understand about
0: the sun. So
1: this is going to be unprecedented resolution at wavelengths that cover visible, radio, extreme ultraviolet and X-rays. And it's going to form a lot of these in in a very interesting orbit. So it it gets its closest approach is going to be 60 solar radii, which is at 42 million kilometres from the surface of the sun, which which is actually inside Mercury's orbit. But nowhere near as par- uh, as close as the the Parker Solar Probe gets. That gets nine point nine solar radiuses away. Yeah, that so that's that's Like gets proper close. But this is pretty close. So at, at its closest approach, it's getting thirteen times the radiation that you would do from say the on the International Space Station. Yeah, and the temperatures get to about five hundred and twenty degrees C. So you could proper completely burn a pizza. At that temperature, you know, it would be hot. It, it, or it would be hot. So as the as Pierre Oliver, the Solar Orbiter safety engineer said, he said, "The main body of the spacecraft takes cover, and a multi-layered rip on one meter, but two point four meter each shield." <laughs>
0: okay.
1: Yeah, that's what he says. And Cheers, this Pierre. is this this is really cool, Jamie. I absolutely love this. So the spacecraft and the instruments are of this heat shield is made from this sandwich structure, multi-layered insulation. But it's coated with this thing called solar black. Oh. And the interesting thing about solar black is this is a pigment that was used in prehistoric times to do cave paintings. And that's why we see the cave paintings, because they happen to choose this material that's unbelievably resilient. Shut the front door. Shut the front door. So it's basically burnt bones, basically. Black calcium phosphate from uh, burnt bone charcoal.
0: It does sound pretty resilient.
1: Yeah, and how they get it onto the titanium structure really interesting as well so uh you know with things like titanium and aluminium and, and things like that one of the things that makes them weather resistance is that uh they actually form an oxide on their surface that's really um resilient to corrosion so they kind of almost protect themselves those types of metals and if you blast if you blast this um oxide off the surface of your titanium uh, with, like, grit. If you dope the grit with this uh, solar black, then the solar black takes the place of of the oxide and it's bonded onto the metal extremely well. You have this really, really well-coated, very, very hard-to-get-off ancient pigment, super black pigment on the titanium. And you know where they do this? Go on. They do this at the University College Dublin campus. Oh, no way. Uh, Yeah, a company called NBO. uh, I love that. uh, uh, And do you want to hear my offensive John (laughs) O'Donoghue
0: impression? Oh, yeah, do it. Yeah,
1: here we go. So he goes, Ah, we found that the solar black works well as a toy layer, foundation on metal, allowing us to place another layer on top, in this case, a carefully tailored conducted wiped ceramic so there's this other material solar white which is a ceramic Jamie that protects the instruments as well
0: that was good that was a good accent too Matt my my ancestors from County Cork I think they'd be impressed
1: would they I don't know it's it's always it's always a bit dodgy as an Englishman doing Irish accents I think
0: it's, it's all right uh, it's okay it's all, we, but, but but you know I you the love permission. the Irish
1: don't I you love I love it. I love I love you, Jamie. And yeah, you you've do. Got, you got you got your Irish heritage. Got my quarter Irish in me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I love the Irish, and I love I love everyone, Jamie. I love you all, all love of everyone. mankind. I'm a bit like Carl Sagan. One love. Uh, so yes, this orbit, Jamie, is a resonant orbit around the sun, and it resonates yeah. with Venus. So every three times it goes round the sun, it gets a little nudge from Venus that actually changes the inclination. So it can actually start getting higher up towards the poles of the sun. So by 2030, it should be about 30 degrees up, which means it can actually start looking down at the poles and give us some information about that. But not only that, the orbit also means it's coming in at a velocity that's similar to the angular velocity of the sun. So it can stay over the top, of a region of the sun for a long time and therefore do a really careful study of the sun at that point.
0: Oh, I like it. Which
1: is very clever. The people that design these orbits, they are clever, aren't they? They are really clever. They are really clever. Bright folks. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of instruments, Jamie, 10 instruments on this on this bad boy. All right. Um, I, I go through them all, but... Um, they're kind of there's, – there's kind of two main banks, the heliospheric in-situ instruments and the solar remote sensing instruments.
0: Yeah, there's a but, lot of uh, them. We don't have time for it,
1: but – No, but I mentioned the two the two that are – let's mention the two that are built in – well, mainly built in Britain. The the yeah. British are kind of like, yeah. do right, you do Kingdom the first one. Solar Wind Plasma Analyzer, the, the SWA. I mean, come SWA, on. And that's a suite of sensors that measure the ion and electron bulk properties, density, velocity, and temperature of the solar wind. So that's going to be measuring the solar wind. And that's, uh, um, I think, the UK are the project managers on that one. And what's the other UK uh, instrument on there?
0: Well, what about MAG, the magnetometer? Yeah. Yes. It will provide in situ measurements. Of the heliospheric magnetic field with high precision.
1: Of course, it'll be high precision. It's built in the UK, Jamie. Hashtag UK. <laughs> so yeah, lots and lots of uh, countries involved: Spain, Italy, France, Germany, Belgium, etc., etc., etc. And even NASA have. Um, it was I almost believe, as if
0: we were there. still part of Europe.
1: Well, we're part of the European Space Agency, Jamie, and that will not change. Exactly. Um, just, just for people who are confused about that, the European Space Agency has nothing really to do with the European Union and therefore uh, we are still a major contributor to the European Space Agency. And actually it's a really good model, I think, that you can, you can stay in European clubs. We, we haven't finished being European just because we're not in some economic
0: club. Exactly. Whether you like it or not, Matt, I'm a European, and I'm going to stay a European until my bones turn black and cavemen use it to paint on walls.
1: I'm actually a child of the world, Jamie. I have as much (laughs) affinity with Carl Sagan as I
0: do with Arnold Schwarzenegger. We are the people. (laughs) Okay,
1: so uh, yes, Solo Orbiter Heliospheric Imager, Jamie, comes from the United States. So NASA, uh, as well as doing the launch for the Europeans on this one, also uh, supplied, the Americans have supplied this um, instrument as well that uh, measures the quasi-steady flow and transient disturbances in the solar wind.
0: Matt, talking about steady flow... Yep. Uh we got quite a few responses to our dark matter special last week.
1: We did. Main, mainly mainly people whose 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 brains just melted and flooded on the floor, not surprisingly, because it was yeah. um and and just to reiterate, we are talking about highly speculative things here. The, I think that, yes. you know, we have to we have to put a uh, pin in say Occam's razor would suggest that these aren't necessarily going to be how it all pans out. However, Correct. it's it's interesting to know that there are these theories out there. And another theory came our way, again from a South Coast university, this time Plymouth. Uh-huh.
0: Um
1: uh by um quite it's quite a famous one. I hadn't I hadn't actually really given it much uh thought before, but someone said that Professor McCulloch himself hoped that we would feature this on this week's show. So I I can't really resist that, can I? Can't Um, resist that. I can't resist it. So Professor McCulloch, who works at Plymouth University, like I said, another South Coast university, um, um, uh, has invented uh, a theory called QI or Quantized Inertia Theory and uh, basically uh, one of our listeners wrote in and said that uh, dark matter can be explained by information theory in another way and that's this quantized inertia theory i don't actually know what the information uh, derivation is but i do know what uh, this one derivation that i shall tell you about but basically qi is like a bit like one of these modified modified theories of gravity um uh but it seems that the the upside of it is is that the the, the modified mo- modified gravity normally falls apart when you look at the bullet cluster picture it's like yes. the bullet cluster pictures really suggests that dark matter is an actual thing rather than a, a sort of that you can explain it by sort of having variable gravity depending on conditions um but this one seems to get round that. So do you want a quick primer on what quantized inertia is?
0: Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. So first of all, we've, we've got to talk about this thing called the Unruh effect. Have you ever heard of this? I can't say I have. No, well, I, I have because we we I and mean, we may have mentioned it when we talked about um, Hawking radiation. It but rings a bell. Yeah. Stephen Fulling mentioned it in 1973, Paul Davis in 75, and Unruh in 76. So sometimes it's known as the Fulling-Davis-Unruh effect. But hmm. Unruh effect because obviously W.G. Unruh uh, must have must have uh, must have fleshed out the theory enough to to have his name kind of put on it, but. Yes. So remember Jamie, at where you're sitting right now is literally at the center of your own visible universe. Very right? true. And so your universe has an event horizon, a bit mm-hmm. like a black hole has an event horizon. You simply cannot know what's happening on the other side of that bubble because true. the light from the other side of that from the other side of that event horizon can never get to you. So no information can ever get to you Uh, and that's that right now there are these things called virtual particles and space just can't be a vacuum and these virtual particles appear a positive and negative pairs they borrow some energy from the quantum vacuum and then they annihilate each other pretty much straight away repaying that debt back to the universe pretty quickly like Really good debtors. They're they're, they're good good guys, these virtual guys. They they pay off their debts very quickly. Um, The universe has very, very harsh borrowing terms. It does. uh, My bank.
0: Big APRs.
1: Yeah. So, uh, really, really nasty APRs. But Stephen Hawking's had an amazing, I mean, what he is famous for, Stephen Hawking, is his amazing insight that if you have these virtual pairs of particles popping in and out of existence well what happens if if this happens right on the edge of a black hole event horizon and one falls in before they have a chance to annihilate and then the other one escapes and what happens there is the universe still wants its money back so the black hole ends up being the generous middleman and and paying back the universe this energy But as a result, the black hole starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller, the more energy it's paying off for these naughty virtual particles that are running off without uh, paying the energy back. So, yeah, and right at the end of a black hole's life, it it, it dies extremely angry in a flash of radiation, Hawking radiation, as it's realised it's been duped by these naughty Norman... Virtual particles, so they've 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 bugged off with all this energy, but
0: why yada? Yes,
1: yeah. so think about your event horizon. Remember, you've got an event horizon as well. You've got this event horizon where you cannot see beyond it. What happens if these virtual particles are doing the same thing there? Oh. Ah, yeah. So okay. in your frame of reference, there will be a type of radiation coming at you. Because, yes, another region of the universe that you can't see has just paid your debt of energy from these virtual particles on that event horizon. And so, yes, you you are now being bombarded by UNRWA radiation. Oh, It doesn't feel Uh, good. Yeah. So in not a bit like Hawking radiation, except this radiation, instead of coming off the event horizon of a black hole, is coming off the, your event horizon of the visible universe. you the boundary of which you have. This is pretty accepted by loads of physicists. And it's, a, it's an idea that that some have even claimed to have seen it, this UNRWA radiation, smallly enough, Igor small enough No way. photoluminescence from a gold nanotip in an accelerated reference frame. He's basically wiggling a needle around and seeing some light. Doesn't seem to have been repeated, that experiment, though, so it may be a load of rubbish. But it's it's fairly accepted, this UNRWA radiation. But enter the Casimir effect. So here's another thing that was that was a phenomenon that was predicted in 1948 by Casimir. Uh-huh. And basically, if you imagine virtual, virtual particles, remember their wave-particle duality. These are waves. So only certain wavelengths can exist in an area that's big enough for their wave to actually fit in. Uh, so if you have two uncharged plates very, very close together, you can only have certain particles springing into existence and then springing back out again and so there's only a certain amount of virtual particles that can appear within that tiny space and on the other side you've got the rest of the universe so they can you can have as many particles as you like so there's a a misbalance and so more virtual particles are smashing on the outside of these plates than on the inside creating a pressure pushing the plates together And that can be measured, and it's about an atmosphere of pressure if the plates are about an atom uh, apart from one another. So it's significant and measurable. Pressure. So let's go back to you in your bubble with the event horizon. You start accelerating In a direction. So you start accelerating off in a direction. Now your bubble is changing, right? Now you can see beyond the horizon in front of you, and the horizon behind you is shrinking away. And these, these are known as Rindler horizons. And now you're in Rindler space. So, the Unruh radiation coming from the front, you're going to have a bit like this Casimir effect on a Hubble scale. You're going to have more Unruh radiation in front of you than behind. So, this Unruh radiation is going to be exerting pressure on you, or then this pressure is going to be impeding your acceleration, or you could call that inertia, if you will. So, it actually explains inertia, and also, uh, and then let us apply this to the stars that are going round galaxies now what we're saying is that stars are moving too fast around galaxies and therefore they would the galaxies would just spin apart That's but right. if you if you apply this unra radiation this un pressure this quantized inertia to these stars it it counteracts that force and so no dark matter is required oh my head hurts again and, and so that's that's the proof for that one. Now, loads of scientists, Jamie, are calling this pseudoscience. And I actually think that's a little bit unfair because dark matter itself, after all, is like an ad hoc piece of reasoning, right? It's it's a theory in response to observations that falsify the, the main theory of gravity. Uh, so at worst, it's a hypothesis which adds no I- empirical content and therefore it's not really falsifiable. Dark matter in some ways, and some people would argue, isn't a great theory itself. Um, but I think the reason why this is so controversial is that if you believe this, you have to abandon you know, a lot of what Einstein said and the Lambda CDM model. A lot of evidence suggests that that is right. It's more to do with the fact that uh, Professor McCulloch, I think, started linking this quantized inertia to things like EM drive. And I think really, we're back to Occam's razor. There's loads and loads of things that we should be looking at, more mundane explanations for things that need to be ruled out first. And like a classic one was that he linked it to the pioneer spacecraft. So the pioneer spacecraft was 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 getting some weird inertia and they didn't know what it was. And uh, McCulloch said, well, it's it's this. And then it turned out, no, it's the thermal recall of the power supply. So, And it's the same with the EM drive. Yes, it, there was a thrust, but we, there's loads of things that need ruling out first. But, you know one of my favourite Sherlock Holmes quotes, Jamie? Go on then. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Oh, that's good. So there you go. It's highly unlikely, but I don't think it's pseudoscience. I think that's really unfair, and and I, I don't think it's ruled out, but it's 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 on the fringe there. But, you know, one day we might be talking to Professor McCulloch and, and he might be uh, as famous as Einstein.
0: Well, Matt, do you know who else I'm going to make famous? Who? A list of our Skylon patrons. Ah, oh, yes, do it, Jamie. Bob Hodges. Legend. John Bernack. Legend. Julio Aprea. No words. Karel Sim. Legend. Sven Newhouse. Legend. Darren Fuchs. Legend. Patrick Hayward.
1: Legendmus. Mark Schwern. Legendissimus. Stas Shusha. Legendissimusama. Christopher Andreassen. Legendissimusmissimus. Rob Annabelle. Mega legend. Orden Vala.
0: Legend. Anthony Peggs. Legend. And last but not least, Definitely Matt not Gilliland.
1: Least. Awesome. What an absolute bunch of heroes they are. And, what and, a
0: motley crew of ledges.
1: And unfortunately, they've been really, really active on, on, on our Discord channel. And so can you if you join us on the interplanetary.org.uk and go to our Patreon, Patreon forward slash patreon.com forward slash interplanetary. Come, come and join us. And, and join uh, us. Join in the conversation. that we haven't got time to talk about some of the subjects that came up on I the know. on the Discord. Not even the Unbelievably underwhelming design for the new spaceport in Scotland, which basically must have taken <laughs> all of five seconds on SketchUp to do. It. Yes. But anyway, uh, we will get to we, that next. We'll week. get to that next week, Jamie. It's been absolutely awesome speaking to you on this very very busy week. I wish you lots of luck in LA and France. And, uh, oh, thank let's you, hopefully mate. we can we can hook up and and do this. I have an unbelievably exciting guest on Tuesday, but I don't want to jinx it. But oh my it, god, let's not say anything. It's 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 one of the world's most famous astrophysicists. So next week's going to
0: be a corker. Oh my god, I can't wait. All right, everyone, have a good weekend. I'm off to uh, pump out some data.
1: Excellent. You pump it out. Uh, you pump out some data and make sure that information doesn't have too much mass. I'll try not to. Is that why I'm getting heavier, Jamie, on, yeah. on the scales? It's all the it's information not, it's not, it's, in your it's head. It's not all those biscuits I'm eating late at night. That's it's why I literally stay spelt all, all the knowledge I learned. I Actually, yeah, I do weigh considerably more than you, so that, that, that might yeah. be it. That's yeah, yeah it I is. look just as slim. <laughs> 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 I look just as slim as snake hips. Jamie, let's yes. go. Let's
0: go. Bye bye, spud cats!